and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this, the darkest timeline. I'm Lord Commander Ulrich, and with me as always is... His shield brother, Axel Wright. How you doing today, Axel? Uh, well, I was pretty pissed off most of the day, but then I got home, relaxed a bit, drank a nice Dr. Pepper. Not sponsored or anything, I just love Dr. Pepper. <laughs> and uh, I'm calmed down now, so I'm good. Dr. Pepper. Hashtag not a real doctor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, on today's episode, we are joined by our special guest, Stevie Julian, who is here to talk with us about our personal favorite sci-fi and fantasy universes. Good to have you on, man. Hey, how's it going? Good, all right. Yeah, um, I've, uh, I've actually mentioned Stevie a few times in the podcast. This is the guy. <laughs> yeah, I. everything is probably true. Very likely. <laughs> How does it feel to be the guy? Uh, It happens more than you would think, so i used to it. <laughs> As long as you're not that guy, which you generally aren't, unless no, you have, I unless, you had, uh, unless you have a bottle of Four rum logos. in your hands, then you become that guy. Yeah. Oh, all good things begin with rum or alcohol of any sort. Well, we'll see the brown kind. We'll share those stories another day. All right. So let's jump right in. Before um, we begin, can I can I establish some ground rules or at least some questions? Because sure. you, you say favorite sci-fi and fantasy right so yeah. what do you mean by favorite because if we talk about like a universe that i enjoy reading about the most or i enjoy just experiencing that's one thing then there's uh, a universe that i'd want to live in um then there's a universe that i'd want to be transported to which are two different things because living in means i could be something already in that universe transported to means i'm just suddenly there so like what are the rules of this particular discussion um uh, not really any rules, this is just, I figured, a general, fun, nerdy discussion that everybody has at some point discussing, you know what fantasy or sci-fi universe I really like? Blank. And this is why I like it. And this is whether you want to live there. This is whether you like reading about it. Um, I didn't really think to put any specific terms on it because I don't want to, you know, limp people's creativity. And because, end of the day, some of our favorite sci-fi universes are awesome to read about, but there's no way you would ever want to live there. Well, that's why I ask, because my favorite fantasy universe is one I definitely don't want to live in, period. <laughs> it's just my well, favorite that's, one. That's one of the main things, too. I was told it was supposed to be a, a sci-fi and fantasy world you'd want to live in. And most of the sci-fi worlds, I mean, a good number of the fantasy ones as well, but most of them are places that are fun to like experience in some kind of media, but why would you want to live there? I mean, a case in point for you, I know you like the 40K universe, but uh, do you want to live there? Is that a place to Oh, God, no. Yeah. Well, so again, like when I told, uh, when I asked Steven to come on here, that's what I was under the impression we we're going to talk about. But then me and you talked a bit more and you kept saying favorite. So I was like, uh, I wanted to clear it before we actually continue. All right. Yeah. Well, Speaking of 40K, yeah, that is probably my favorite sci-fi universe. And this one was tricky because there's a lot I'm there's a lot of sci-fi universes I like. Like I really like StarCraft, really love the, you know, World of Starship Troopers. There's a lot ones to pick from, but 40K I kind of went back to because it's the one I can talk about for hours on end and love to share with people. But no, as we kind of talked about last week when we just dipped our toe into 40K, that is not a universe I want to live in in any capacity. Well, so since we just talked about it last week, and I actually mentioned, can you ask me, like, what got me into 40K? Uh, Stevie here and our other friend Nils were the guys who got me to play Dawn of War. So, um, And we are, got to explore my realm of knowledge. So, Stevie, what's your actual realm of knowledge when it comes to 40K? Uh, 
I mean, basically Dark Crusade. Um, I played a decent amount of that in high school. Uh, and then, I mean, we've had some discussions here and there about, like, stuff that happened in the 40k universe. And you've told me some things about the orcs and stuff. I still think the tower are pretty badass, though. So. Whoa, 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 whoa. The tower badass? Yeah, the tower are really cool. I think we're going to have to uh, bring you on when we talk about, you know, the Tau, because that those are two words I've never heard spoken in the same sentence. OK, OK. The thing is, I heard that their uh, their whole like lore shit got changed, saying that uh, saying that uh, they're using like mind control and stuff. Well, it's but, not like, confirmed, but it's heavily implied. But yeah, like, they've, they've not come down on that side one way or the other. But but before that, like uh, hearing that, I think that's kind of bullshit. But like the whole for the greater good thing. I think that that's like a cool concept that like uh, a species can like allow other species to like join them and they're like trying to make things better for like the universe in a, like a very very dark universe that's full of like bad shit. True enough. Yeah, no, 40k, it's it's god awful. But I think one of the reasons I like it so much and the reason it's kind of come out on top of the dog pile of uh, sci-fi universes is the lore is so deep there is no lack of it and they are always adding to it and retweaking it and reworking it there's a lot of complexity to it and it's got a little bit everything that you could want i mean i I will admit that after our last episode i was uh i was waiting on some code to run at work and i just like googled primark because you had said the the term and then when i got home i spent like four or five hours just reading the wikis of like eight of the 20 primarchs so and those are just eight people with ridiculously long wiki pages yeah no it's easy to get lost down the rabbit hole and i think to me that is what makes a great universe is having fully developed fleshed out lore that you can get lost in and maybe not necessarily you want to live there but you want to know more about it okay um what would you pick as a universe that you'd want to live in then we could just do like not as much of a description as like uh like why it would be your favorite or whatever, but like if you had to pick one to live in, like what one would yeah, that just be? Just a quick then? aside. Yeah. Uh I'm going to go the easy, quick answer and go Marvel Universe. Because I want to be a superhero. Okay, so you are assuming well, then that the universe you want to live in, you get to be something other than just And you're not and you're not being transported there with what you currently are, because then you'd just be like a random civilian in like the <laughs> Avengers Crisis of New York or something. No one wants that. And I get to see Thor in real life. It's a win-win. Okay. Fair okay. enough. So either I become the new Doctor Doom, or I get to meet Thor. All right. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I guess that works. I, I suppose that in the in the Marvel universe, any regular human can learn magic, and that's kind of the point of Doctor Strange. But anyway, we yeah. don't need to go. We don't need to go too deep into that. But uh. I'll just yeah. jack, you know, one of Doctor Doom's, you know, gadgets. There we go. Well, maybe not a bad good idea. I'll start lower on the tier. Someone that won't hunt me down and flame me alive. By the way, since you made a comment about it, I now know the difference between a primar, a Primaris Marine, and a Primarch. So I can't. Good job. Them, now your but... next task is to find the difference between a Dark Angel and a Blood Angel. Okay, I'll work on it. <laughs> so I guess that transitions to you, Stevie, for your first pick. Uh, well. Um, I came in here prepared to pick a, like a world I'd want to live in and stuff. Um, when we're talking about sci-fi, uh, one of the things I was going to ask, are we, um, are we including, uh, Star Wars as sci-fi or are we going to call that space fantasy? No, we like, included the sci-fi for this conversation. Yeah. Uh, 
for this conversation, it'd be kind of a toss-up then. Uh, it really depends on if you get uh, transported there with, like as you are or if you can like live in the universe. We'll do because, the live in the universe, I think, to, to make things simple. Because, because if you could live in the universe, it would probably be the Star Wars universe because I think that'd be really cool to like deal with Force stuff. I'm not even the biggest Star Wars fan, but I think it'd be really cool. But ironically, my other pick, if I wanted to um, be like transported there with like my current person current being and shit i would uh want to go to the star trek universe another thing i'm not a big fan of but i think for like the standard person the like quality of life and everything would just be like ten thousand times better than what we currently have uh just because of the convenience of all the technology and stuff as long as you're not part on part of like one of the deep space exploration yeah. uh, things like you're gonna be well, okay like as far as a human and a sci-fi series goes, you, you have a hard time finding a better life than being in the Federation in Star Trek. I'd agree, but Borg. Yeah, well, but yeah, but the Federation beat the Borg repeatedly. Like, yeah, if sure, the if Borg you're... are still a threat. Yes, well, okay, it, it's not like you're... <laughs> you're on the spaceship though. It's not like I'm on the Enterprise. Like the average citizen is going to be like still in like San Diego or wherever they live now. And well, I get that. Like... I get that. But they're just. That constant threat looming over you. Yes, but since we know the Star Trek universe, uh, we know that the Borg, at least in the primary universe, never win. In fact, um, if uh, Voyager's final scene is to be interpreted the way it seems to be, then the Borg were essentially either completely destroyed or crippled. like beyond. And we know that 900-some years in the future from Star Trek, they're still... Sorry about that. Anyway, they're the the Federation is still like a beacon and is like the paradise in the the galaxy essentially. Well then, yeah. Aside from that, like I said, the only problem I've ever had with you know living in Star Trek is yeah, it's a utopia, but the Borg. I mean, I don't want that threat looming over my head. But at the same, don't join time, Starfleet then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how what many I... light years are they away from like our uh, small corner of the universe? Uh, roughly about 50,000. I mean, Voyager got blasted 70,000 light years away, and they didn't encounter Borg space until, like, season three, so... Yeah, well, like, see... You know, I can see the appeal to the Borg, honestly. Well, here's another question, though. Like, in the uh, Star Trek universe, the average citizen, how much information do they have about the Borg? Do they even know that the Borg exists? That's yeah, a good question. The, the Federation disseminates information. It's a commonly known thing. Like, if they didn't know the Borg existed, like, how would there be any downsides? Because ignorance is bliss in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah, if I don't know the Borg exists. I kind of got to agree. Yes, Star Trek Universe is the best all around if just to live in. I mean, I would prefer between the two. I'd rather live in Star Wars just because the potential of a lightsaber. Sensitive. I want force powers. I want a lightsaber. I want a Wookiee best friend. Well, that's what Stevie said. So Yeah. And you'd be... Uh, I mean, I, we've talked about this before. Uh, I know that I'm like a Sith, basically straight up. Are you more Grey Order, would you say? or? DC? No, I'm talking to you, Steve. You're the guest. You brought uh, up Star Wars. Honestly, it'd be somewhere um, either between Sith or like somewhere in the gray area. Because I don't think that I would uh, limit myself on one side of the Force. I would probably experiment with both sides. Just because if you're limiting yourself with any kind of like knowledge, then you're just you're going to be hurting yourself in a lot of ways more than you're helping yourself. Yeah, that's why I I pitted you for Gray Order. So, yeah, but can you shoot lightning out of your fingertips if you're in the gray? Yeah. Oh, okay, <laughs> then there's do, no downside. Yeah, you can do literally everything, and 
you just kind of like. Why does anyone choose? Because in most people can't. It's not about choice. the The issue with the gray order is that to have a person whose mind is capable of balancing the light and the dark is extremely rare because the dark is extremely seductive and the light generally requires like monk like self control to maintain. So Wait, there's also Sith are bad. Who okay. wants to sign on to be a Jedi? I mean, lightsabers and cool shit aside, when you read the fine print, wouldn't you rather be a Sith? I think I'd have to actually read the Sith and Jedi well, Order. But... Well, part of the thing, though, like, I have a lot of issues. Th- this could be a topic for another for another time, but I am one of the most jaded people when it comes to um, the Star Wars universe, partly because of a mutual friend that uh, Axel and I have that kind of uh, ruined it in some ways. Um, but, I mean, I've kind of, like, let go of some of that and stuff and been kind of, like, looking at it, like, from the outside and stuff, and I enjoy the the universe more now, but I don't know. Well, like any good universe, it's got a lot of good lore, but people that try and exp- defend the expanded universe, have you read some of that shit? It gets just <clears throat> yeah, downright David dumb. David knows more, much more about the expanded universe than he ever wanted to, because, our again, our mutual friend who goes by Denim is basically the biggest Star Wars fan I've ever met, and he will... Yet he didn't watch Force Awakens until like eight or nine months after it came out, and Nils yeah. and I were really pissed when he said that. Oh, I have my no God. explanation for that, but yeah, like I, I, uh, I remember last year he helped me out uh, moving. I had to drive out like two hours to this. No, no reason why, uh, no important why, but while we were driving, basically we, he just told me stuff about the expanded universe. Now I, I'm not bothered by that. Like I found it pretty interesting, but since Stevie and Nils went to like high school with him. You know, that's much more of a protracted period of time thing. I could Nils understand. had it worse than me. Nils had it worse than me. I know that for sure. Because they, like, went on a band trip to Disneyland. So, yeah. Like, in the, the bus the whole time. Yeah, that wouldn't be fun. And see, that, anyway. I think that's an important distinction about this podcast. We want to talk about nerdy, geeky stuff. But we want you to come to us and ask about it. And when you don't want to hear about it anymore, we'll stop talking about it anymore. Nothing is more annoying than having someone just go, and another thing, do you know how many butt hairs Yoda had? No one cares. No one wants to know. Not to mention, I mean, could always just, like, close the YouTube video if they're tired of hearing it. So, <laughs> True enough. You heard it here There's first. There's only so much space in my brain. <laughs> Put it in the comments if you close the video uh, after this sentence that I said. Okay, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> That we know how we know to blame him and how many people we know to blame him for. So, but uh, all right. Well, my okay. So if I was gonna live in a a, a sci-fi universe, it would be Star Trek. So I don't need to really talk more about it for the exactly the same reasons we've already discussed. Actually, that's not true. If I was transported, like he said, it'd be Star Trek. If I was gonna live in a universe and get to be something from that universe, with you know, with the restrictions, like I'm not gonna be like you know an omnipotent god because that's just breaking the rules of the conversation uh but i will cheat a little bit by saying it would be doctor who and i'd want to be a time lord with a tardis <laughs> so uh but i've talked about doctor who at length previously so i don't need to talk about that no no my my favorite sci-fi universe is definitely mass effect and i'd, I'd say the main reason why uh is because it feels more real than like any other sci-fi universe i've experienced uh like, I mean, I love Warhammer the more I read about it, but nothing about it feels like that's an actual uh, 
you know, place that, that of any bearing on like what reality is. That's part of the joy of it. Warhammer is so ridiculous. Pure that it's... escapism. Exactly. But Mass Effect to me feels like um like a real kind of future. I mean, even there's there's a little thing I, I realized a while back. Uh, have you ever heard of the Drake equation? No. So the Drake equation is a term. I, I think there's actually a more scientific name for it. Um, Hotline bling? <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> the Drake equation is uh, an equation basically to calculate the likely number of other sentient species in the galaxy. Like you fill in variables based on you know information you have, like. Uh, and some you guess, like the likelihood of life appearing on an Earth-like planet, number of Earth-like planets in a souls, shit like that. But generally speaking, when uh, scientists today um, use their best given knowledge, to my understanding, it comes out to be roughly seven or eight, meaning that at any given point in the galaxy, there are roughly seven or eight species like us somewhere in the galaxy. And that's a conservative estimate, right? So that being said, Mass Effect has something like only eight or nine alien species in it, period. And but there's more than that. Nope, there really isn't. It's okay. So it's like you got your humans, you got your Turians, who are like your metal vulture people who are badass. You got your Asari, who are the monogender blue ladies who live forever. You got your Krogans, who are your war turtles. Your uh, Salarians are essentially your, um, uh, like, old Martian idea, essentially very smart, short-lived aliens. Uh, you got your Batarians, who are terrible, and they're the only race in Mass Effect that I consider bad. You got your Quarians, who are the like tech race. Technically, you got the Geth, but they're an artificial race created by the Quarians, so I'm not going to count them. And, um, oh, Volus and Elcor, who are like mini side race people. And like... If you don't count the Reapers, which again aren't really a species, or Leviathan who created them because they're from a long time ago, like that's it. It's like nine races right there. So huh. I always felt like there was way more than that, but I never played the games as much as you did. Yeah, I've played uh, through Mass Effect. So I've never played the games. So I mean, <clears throat> unfortunately, Stevie uh, was my roommate at a time when three of the people in the house were playing Mass Effect at the same time. So it was well, always even on before the TV. that. Even before that, like in college, I had a roommate uh, that like played Mass Effect One all the time, and I was like, eh, "Yeah, I think I get the point." <laughs> Which is fine. I stopped trying to push it on anybody, but yeah. So that's one of my main reasons I love Mass Effect is it feels lived in and real. It doesn't. I mean, it also helps that Bioware is kind of like the king of video game writing. I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong; they can do some mess ups too. But generally speaking, oh, they do oh, three. Actually. Okay, when it first, I just want to, for a second, when Ma when Mass Effect 3 first came out, yes, you're completely right. But Bioware listened to the complaints and actually for free put out an update that fixed the ending to a point where I was extremely satisfied with it. So I think that the the modern day hate of Mass Effect 3 is overblown, personally. Oh, I don't, I don't think it should, deserves hate. I'm just saying, you know, you can't talk about Mass Effect without addressing the issue of Mass Effect 3. Well, there's my addressing it. I there think you go. I fixed it. So no, save you time in the comments, folks. You don't need to tell us. Yeah, if you think they didn't fix it, okay, whatever. More power to you. But I, you know, I dedicated hours and hours. Put Axel's email in the description below. You can send your hate mail to him. <laughs> uh, anyway, but I, you know, and, and playing a character like that in a Bioware game, you know, being able to like use the codex and explore where I want to really like flesh out what that universe has to offer that 
just made it so like I can lose myself playing Mass Effect, like kind of forget that I exist as a person. And there are very few games that can do that to me. And that's pure escapism, which is exactly what we're talking about. These places we escape to and why we want, why we love going back to them. So, I mean, neither of you guys are terribly versed in Mass Effect, so I don't really know, like, how deep I want to go into it. But anyone who hasn't played it, it's, yeah, it's just a, a fictional universe, like I said, with those nine aliens or so, where there's fashion light travel, blah, blah, blah. It's it's kind of a war warlike universe, but not to the level of Warhammer, because people are still you know, very just human, <laughs> not like super mutants kind of stuff. Um, and the basic plot is that there's a Cthulhu machines in space that want to kill everything. And, and you're a space Marine and you have to stop them by getting a bunch of well-written characters together to go on suicide missions. That's, that's really it. But it's, it's, it's all, you know, devil in the details stuff. Like conversations with the characters aboard your ship are way more engaging than any of the combat. And the combat can be really good, especially in the third game. But, you know, nothing, for instance, is better than just talking with Morden, who's basically space Clint Eastwood, Sherlock Holmes, just talking with him in his lab. Yeah, yeah. But just chatting with him in his lab about, like, his old missions as basically uh, Black Ops is super engrossing entertaining it's it's definitely a narrative driven game and if i would live in mass effect like even though i'd rather live in either star trek or doctor who i would say post reapers <laughs> i don't need to be there during the reaper war just leave that behind <laughs> so well let's circle back real quick since we've all named our sci-fi how like if you could put yourself in mass effect what would you make and this is an rpg game so gentlemen's but let's say you could pick your race and background and position, like in as in detail, real quick, what would you want to, you know, be? In Mass Effect specifically, not Mass the Effect. ones I actually. Uh, well, it'd be either a Krogan or an Asari, probably just because they live a thousand years. And I like the fact that, so I like the fact that the Krogan basically have like Wolverine-like healing factors and live in a very uh, primal kind of society even though it's all future tech. But their planet's also shit, and they tend to be pretty simple beings. And, and the Asari, like, the Asari come from, you know, very, you know, Thessia is the name of their planet, which is a lot more like, you know, high technology, the kind of stuff you see, like, you know, the Covenant and Halo have. It's all very, like, screens and see-through and, you know, be very intelligent. They're all natural space wizards, which are what biotics are. It's just basically a space wizard uh and i mean i'm comfortable in my skin and i like being a guy so it's not like a, i want to change anything else but you know asari are mono gender and basically all female looking so that takes some getting used to <laughs> <laughs> uh what about you stevie for star trek like how far in depth have you thought Oh, you just uh, want to be a guy on well, the street or Starfleet captain? Well, no, Star Trek's not my favorite universe either. Uh, if I had to pick a favorite sci-fi universe, which, which I didn't really talk about, I might actually say uh, Gurren Login. That might be my favorite, <laughs> just because of how ridiculous it is. Um, and I mean, <laughs> yeah, uh, who wouldn't want to be Kamina in that universe? Let's be real here. Assuming you don't. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> it's funny because uh, a couple of years back when I wasn't into Warhammer yet, um, Ulrich here was like sending me 
you know, pictures and stuff explaining why Warhammer beats Star Trek and Star Wars, which duh. But like he'd show a picture of the size comparison chart and I would just write Tengen Topa Gurren Logan and just end the conversation as far as I was concerned. I mean, it's like bigger than uh like Galaxy, isn't it? Like it's its size yeah. is like ridiculous. Super Tengen Topa Gurren Logan has a drill that is uh I think, if I'm correctly, seventy percent of the entire universe. In the size. drill that will pierce the heavens, man. Yeah. Somebody wanted to beat 40k, which I, is I surprising don't... because 40k is actually huge in China, which I don't understand the logistics of. Well, no. So a company that got started in England. Well, see, see, Ulrich, I know you don't because you're not a huge anime fan, and no. you you don't know. But the company that made Tengen Topa Gunlocken, Gainax. That's just kind of their thing, like taking an idea and taking it to as extreme as possible. <laughs> That's essentially, you know, 40K in a nutshell. I, I love how that seems, you know, sim- uh, different continents, same idea. How crazy Again. can we make this? Also, as, uh, as Stevie pointed out, there's a character in, um, in Tengen Topa Gurren named Kamina, who is possibly the manliest fictional character ever. Manlier than Sergeant Armstrong, or yeah, yeah Sergeant Armstrong in uh, different kind of manly, but like Kamina's the a re- he's the man's man. All right, so then I guess that circles us around to our favorite fantasy universe, and this one was kind of a tough one for me because How the discussion begins. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, for me, I grew up loving you know Warcraft one and two. Uh, Never got into work World of Warcraft, so I kind of lost touch with the lore there. Um, Stevie knows that lore pretty they well. They ruined a lot of the lore, so you don't miss anything. Don't worry about it. <laughs> That's kind of the feel I've gotten. Um, lord of the Rings, also awesome, but the lore was kind of dense and hard to follow. Though, you know, same thing. D&D, great, fantastic universe. Kind of gets a bit far out there. And as we talked about recently, uh, one of my favorite gaming companies, Creative Assembly, created the warhammer total war series and before that got going i'm like well i like warhammer you know 40k i want to look into the fantasy element i started going through that and i fell in love with it for a lot of the same reasons i fell in love with 40k dense meaty lore and i do feel like it's a little bit of a cheat picking uh warhammer and then warhammer 40k but you go ahead I, i i felt the same but the reason i ended up going warhammer fantasy is because it takes elements from all of those you know other fantasy universes i just mentioned and mixes them together and even warcraft was in was originally the first warcraft was supposed to be a warhammer fantasy game but they lost the uh games workshop backed on the ip and they said okay well um let's just go from here i had heard that i feel like someone needs to give you a lot of shit for being like a complete warhammer fanboy like Someone needs to just like be like, "Hey, man, you need to branch out a little bit. Let's uh, take a step." <laughs> no, as we've said before, I do not believe in fandoms. I'm not a big fan of the idea. I don't believe in limiting yourself. But Warhammer, in all its you know various things, is one of the few fandoms I will plant my flag and proudly say I am a part of. I mean, I suppose everyone has at least one. <laughs> I, it's, I think it's my only one, to be honest. Outside of you know. Beer, which I'm not sure you can be a fandom of belong to a fandom of beer. But... Oh yes, you can. I've had roommates who were. Uh, I definitely refer to them as beer nerds. 
Well, even then, I'm not sure I belong to those groups. But no, I am. I'll admit, I'm a Warhammer nerd to the point. I have a war. I have a 40k tattoo. That is my one and only nerd stamp. Well, is would you want to live in the Warhammer one? Is this, I, I we've turned this into kind of like an all around like, what's your favorite? And what's the one you want to live in? And what's the one you want to, we're doing like all well, this I mean, conversation. So be, why not? To be fair, to be fair though, I mean, I came in here with being prepared to what one would I want to live in? Not my favorite. Like yeah, I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't told like. No, no, no worries. I, that's why I just came in with a bunch of options. So I'm assuming you don't want to live in the Warhammer universe. No, again, like 40k, it's not as god awful, terrible. You can actually have a pretty decent life, but it's still essentially medieval Europe, but with monsters. And if you know anything about medieval history, it wasn't a good time to be alive. Are the orcs still fungus? Yeah, the orcs are still fungus. There's giant rats. You can play the Vermintide game. Yeah, there's giant rat monsters that no one believes exist. Do you play uh, No. Yeah, I own it. Oh, it's, I haven't played it. It's not a lot bad. of fun. But anyway, getting it's off topic. Like, very, like, Left 4 Dead repetitive, but, I mean, it's not bad. Yeah, they got the sequel coming out, which looks to improve a lot. Okay, we're getting off topic. Um, <laughs> No, if I'm going to live in one, I'm going to go back to one of my previous choices. I'm going to the D&D world, because it seems like every, you know, Joe Schmo off the street is a secret paragon god-level deity waiting to happen. I mean, if you're in an, like, epic-level campaign with planar uh, mythology, but chances are high... have the potential to become that, though. Everyone has that potential. It depends on what edition we're talking about, because, like, 4th edition, that's definitely the case. Like, anyone can be a god, essentially. But 5th edition, even at, like, level 20, um, you might be doing godlike things, but generally speaking, your, like, abilities, unless you're a wizard, because wizards are busted, but your abilities <laughs> are, uh, you know, pretty mundane still. You're just, like, a really good at what you do. Yeah, but I guess I should clarify, because the way... I got into the D&D lore was actually in reverse. I didn't play D&D. I got into D&D because I read the... I got into the Forgotten Realms series, specifically the books by R.A. Salvatore. And right. that was how I got into that whole lore. And that is how my... It's my understanding of the world. It's like, you know, oh, yeah, that's Frank. He's an expert assassin. And, you know, he fought in this great army. He's able to kill 12 orcs and a giant. But he's just, you know, Joe Small on the street. Hmm. And if I'm going to live in a world, I want to live in a world where I have that potential. I actually just started my first 5e campaign this last week, and I'm doing a different campaign uh, that Stevie's actually going to be a part of. I always has to miss the first session, but uh, we're starting that on Saturday. So, Yeah. He's going to be a barbarian, and I'm going to be a rogue. Classic. That might be changing. Yeah? All right. Yeah. It, well, well, I'll explain later. Okay. Okay. I, <laughs> I, I figured – anyway, we'll talk about it later. Uh, yeah. But yeah, D and D. I think that's a good choice. I actually considered D and D for my choice, but I went with something else. But I'll, I'll wait. Um, so Stevie, what did you pick? Uh, let's go with the one you prepared, and then you could also expand out because that's what we're doing. Okay. Uh, so um, for fictional universe to live in, I'm pretty sure like the best one to live in, hands down, would be uh, Central Yarnum. Uh, like there's plenty of benefits there. You of get to go on nightly. You get to go on nightly hunts. Uh, there's the old blood you could enhance yourself with. I mean, there's... I actually just wanted you to, like, call bullshit on that. You didn't... God, you didn't give me the reaction I wanted. <laughs> well, you didn't give I, me the I, reaction I, I wanted. Gonna, well, you can't see me, but I'm sitting here with my mouth open. Like, <laughs> fucking really? Yeah, that's, that's Lovecraftian no. horror, man. Yeah, like, no, that, you know, that would be a terrible... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even know. I just know Bloodborne, and I have a general idea, but that doesn't sound like a world I want to live in. And then he no, said no. Lovecraftian horror... 
you shouldn't want to live in like Bloodborne's awesome. <laughs> Bloodborne makes you feel like a badass hunter, but generally speaking, you shouldn't want to live there. No. <laughs> yeah, what's um, the reasoning here? No, no, no. It, that, that was a uh, that was completely a joke. He's um, fucking with me because okay. I, been, I, been, I was like, has it worked somehow? I've been trying to get Stevie uh, to play Bloodborne for a while. I, I've been it. I already have a platinum trophy on it. Of course you do. I, I expect <laughs> no less because you're uh, much better than me at that. Uh, anyway, um, part of the thing uh, we've been kind of like picking and choosing like when we would live there and stuff. That was one of the questions I was going to ask. Is like, would we be able to choose like when we'd live there? Sure, but I think that the, the I think that the um, uh, era in between, like after Isildur cut off uh, Sauron's hand and didn't throw the ring in the fucking uh, mountain, and uh, before um, the Hobbit, I feel like that'd be a pretty good time frame to live in Middle Earth. Assuming Magic is still alive, hasn't quite totally faded. Yeah, yeah, I feel like that would be a very very great time to live in Middle Earth. I mean. Any time would be a great time to live in Middle Earth if you're living in the. Uh, I don't the know about that. The if, end of if, the third is not a time I want to live in. You're living it. in the Shire. If you're living in the Shire is what oh, I said. Dude, no, yeah. you know what happens to the Shire <laughs> during the Third Age? Uh, no, no. I'm, I'm meaning like the vast majority of um the Middle Earth era living in the oh, Shire, yeah. like the when it's like it's for the fine. most part, pretty good and solid. End well, I mean, the their third luck, age. their luck is what protects them. Like they're like you could say it's like their magic. Well, yeah. Steve, and I, Steve and I have partied quite a bit, and usually when we party, at some point, Stevie makes a comment about, like, man, wouldn't it be cool to just be hobbits, just drink and eat all day? <laughs> drink, eat, smoke, yeah. Seven mils? I could yeah. do it. I mean, it'd, be, it'd, be, it'd be a fun month, at least. See? Maybe for a month. I think I'd rather be a dwarf end of the day, though. <laughs> well, see, also important to remember, I'm pretty tiny. I'm, like, five, 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 six. Stevie, you're, what, six, three? Six, six four. four. Six four. I made the mistake once of going downtown with Stevie and trying to keep up with him. That yeah, didn't go well. <laughs> yeah, what I, you're uh, saying. <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> but uh, I, I think that would be like in between the Asildor cutting off Sauron's hand and before the Hobbit would be like the best time much, to live in Middle Earth. How much time is uh, that? That's a long time. Long time. That's a big time frame. Um, but if you're talking about like favorite fantasy universe, um. There is no question that my favorite fantasy universe is Berserk. I like, Damn right. can't say I can't say anything negative about the Berserk universe, about the world that uh, Kentaro Mira has created that okay, he's right. been developing since uh, 1989 or 1988. Like it, it's just so diverse and so developed. Like it's it's it, it's just fantastic. I can't, I can't stop saying good things about it, and I can get easily I could easily talk about it for like. Two or three hours, but I'm not going to because. But talk about it for a little bit because we I have time. Made, I've made my okay. case uh, to Ulrich. So for the record, for the audience, uh, Stevie, Nils, and I, Nils, we discussed earlier. We all have berserk tattoos. We got them. the the brand of sacrifice. If anyone's familiar with that, yeah, it's the um, only tattoo I have. <laughs> I have two. Another one's a like a Dark Souls tribute tattoo, but that's a different story. Uh, that's another universe that's really cool. But berserk is just. I mean, Dark Souls is based on the Berserk universe in a lot of ways, but yeah. Well, but for Berserk, and I could talk about it for hours too, but this is your slot, so give us give us um, some. Berserk. Okay, so so okay for Berserk, uh, there's a lot of really cool things about it. Like, uh, in the Golden Age, that's like the primary introduction for most people to Berserk. In the Golden Age, that's it's before everything gets completely fucked. Is the best way of putting it. Only um, mostly fucked. <laughs> 
yeah in, in the golden age it's it's very much um like a medieval fantasy world you're like okay everything's just a little bit more like bloody than other ones i guess until you find out who nosferatu zod is until you encounter him in like i mean my first encounter of him was the anime i believe it's like episode six and so. when you see when you see zod uh at first you're like wow that's a, a big dude but then when guts actually pierces his chest with a sword he's like oh you made me bleed oh no <laughs> one's i haven't felt this i haven't felt this rush in years and for, Guts for is like, the record, what? can i pause you for just a moment to for, yeah. for any who might be initiated berserk literally so yeah medieval time the main character he follows a guy named guts who was literally raised by uh bandits well actually more correcting he was born from a corpse like his mother while pregnant was hung from a tree by bandits and, and then the whore of the bandit group that uh raised him found him and wanted to keep him and raise him so he was raised by bandits who did terrible things to him he killed his first man by like age eight i want to say and, yeah, something uh, around there. and by the time the golden age which is really the series starts he's uh, like a late teen. teenager yeah, it's like teenager, and he's just a mercenary. And the story follows him getting involved with another mercenary group called the Band of the Hawk. And basically, you follow him, a character named Griffith, who's the leader of the Band of the Hawk, and Casca, who's like the second in command. And all three of them have different ambitions and things they're trying to accomplish. And you just kind of watch them function in this medieval world. That's and really everything good. just seems like kind of Game of Thrones esque in some ways, in terms of like super violent in, in certain areas and it doesn't like hold back on like battle scenes being actually violent but when you encounter Nosferatu Zod and um guts like pierces his chest with a sword he grabs it pulls the sword out and basically turns into a giant minotaur demon with wings and okay. then you're like wait out of nowhere <laughs> There's, and then there's you're a like, reason, there's a reason that in our group when we say kneel before Zod we ain't talking about some bitch Kryptonian yeah, and, and like that's when you're like, wait, this universe has a lot more than just some basic medieval bullshit. There's a lot at play here, and Zod gives a very cryptic speech to Guts because uh, in their encounter, he happens to see uh, Griffith's uh, crimson egg of the king, otherwise known as like the crimson baylet. It's literally uh, a red egg with like face parts on it that's hanging on a necklace on, around his neck, and. Uh, it's a very cryptic message, and it says something along the lines of, like, when this man's ambition crumbles uh, and uh, you aren't seen as his equal or something, like, you need to, like, bad shit's going to happen. Like, <laughs> bad shit's going to happen. And Guts is like, what the hell? And then as soon as he saw it, after he said that cryptic message, he flew through the castle, like, just flew out of the castle and, like, left. And this is after killing, like, an entire battalion of, like, uh, Guts's raiders. Yeah, see, Berserk's world doesn't really have gods. I mean, it kind of does, but I'm not going to get into that. It's too spoiler-filled, but Zod is referred to as, like, the god of war by a lot of people. Yeah, even though he isn't even, like, the strength of one of the gods, because there's four gods that are, like, god hand is what they're called, but that's that's a lot more spoilery than... But yeah, he's like an apostle. He's like the second tier of uh, of strength in terms of that universe for demons is the best way of putting it for, for the record um another thing that's great about well it's in, important about berserk is that the manga begins 
several years after the events of the Golden Age, and then it flashes back, does the Golden Age, and then comes back into the proper story. So the Golden Age story is all preamble. But what this means is that episode one of the anime takes place in that kind of like future thing, and then it flashes back. And for reasons that I don't want to explain right now, anyone who's interested in watching the old anime, and I do mean the old one, don't watch the 2016 one, it's, it's shit. Um, I like you saying that. And don't watch <laughs> the movies unless you've already seen the anime. The movies are fine, but they're just not as good as the old anime. Better uh, than the 1617 anime, though, for sure. Yeah. Anyway, point is, though, if you're going to watch that old anime, which is 26 episodes, is that right, Stevie? Uh, yeah. 24. That's not short for an anime. Yeah, yeah so and, and the episodes, episodes are only like 20 minutes long, too. Like, yeah. But it's important. It's a weekend binge. Easy. Yeah. Exactly, which is what you should do, Ulrich. I've been trying to get you to do it for years because uh, I know you'll like it. But anyway, so start in episode two. You just, just trust me on this. Start on episode two. Or, I mean, if series. you if you do watch episode one, make sure you rewatch episode one after you finish the series. Yeah, um, because the series ends in such a place that it, it won't be satisfying. But if you watch the first episode again after it, it's a much better experience. And then when you're done, go read the manga because the manga is fucking amazing. Also, what you could do too, if you like aren't like fully like ready to read the manga, you could uh, watch the movies because the movies also give you more closure than how the original anime ends. I don't it's... know. If I've learned anything from Full Metal Alchemist. Take the endings you're given. Don't seek out something else. It only makes yeah, it worse. Like, that wasn't that wasn't the true ending of the of the the story though. Like that was uh, just the best place they could have ended it with what had been written at the time without like making like a super like very very bad cliffhanger literally think about it like this Ulrich. let's say let's say game of thrones the books existed right and then they decided to make a 30 episode television show about robert's rebellion and it'd be awesome yes yes it would be that's my point but they just made that that's basically what happened with the golden age yeah pretty much i actually bought the the golden age like the original berserk anime i bought that remastered as a christmas gift to myself this last year and it's it's fantastic so it's it's literally i cannot give a higher recommendation there's a reason why i marked my body with berserk uh, sign it's not just because you're a nerd no uh, i'd say no, berserk like, transcends that kind of shit yeah berserk is like i mean this this kind of goes past the the discussion we're having now but berserk is my favorite story that i've ever like experienced in terms of like any media like berserk is just it, it's so fucking good another I, thing I too yeah so so the narrative that's all like narrative stuff and the narrative or the, the narrative yeah the narrative is great and that it, like he said it's easily one of the best period and one of my favorite like definitely top five uh maybe even nine number one i had to think about it a bit more but even beyond or even putting narrative aside for a second, just visually, the manga specifically. So anime in general and manga, you know, is drawn with its own kind of style, right? But you can still tell the skill level of different mangekas, which is what you call a guy who makes a manga. And Mura is insane. The amount of detail he puts into his, uh, his panels of the manga, like, especially you see him get better as he progresses, but the first manga he put out he put out he published it like age nine and it looked better than 80 percent of comics or manga well, i've seen another important thing too with uh like mira like his technical skill 
it can be jam-packed with detail, but you never lose sight of the main characters. He he draws it in a way that you're always like drawn to the main characters and like what they're doing and stuff. It, yeah, he's it a is... master of panel composition. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. Which is like, why uh so the original anime, the the one from like the mid nineties, while ex highly recommend it mostly for the uh, the story and the music. The music is great. Um they didn't have the budget to really adapt his style too well so you'll watch the old anime and it looks kind of like a painting and it's a little stiff because the the budget again but then you go read the manga and suddenly the detail level is through the goddamn roof and so it's like all the more reason to to read the fucking thing <laughs> yeah i can't recommend it enough <laughs> uh <clears throat> we should probably talk about your uh your uh, fantasy worlds now this way All we don't right, well, like have the rest of the the rest <laughs> of the video talking about Berserk because that could very easily happen because we're kind of overshadowing everything else right now. <clears throat> uh, well, Berserk kind of does overshadow things once you have 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 actually <laughs> been <incorporated>. initiated. Exactly. <laughs> once you've been initiated, <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. Like. I, all right, I will end the Berserk conversation. I mean, it's not mine to end, it's yours to end. But I will say that, um, like I said, Ulrich, I know you're not a anime fan. Like, you like Full no. Metal Alchemist. Uh, you were cool with Death Note and Code Geass, but generally you're not really a... How's um... Code Geass? Oh, I should. Uh, never mind. It's basically Death Note, but with giant robots. Anyway, um, I thought I'd shown you it. I guess I was mistaken. Point is, I know you don't like anime, and I'm nope. still telling you to watch Berserk and read Berserk. <laughs> Because I know you like Game of Thrones and Warhammer and yeah, fucking berserk. And I get to punish you if I don't. Yes, I know. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm gonna kind of cheat uh, because my favorite uh, fantasy universe, and in this case, I say favorite as in the one I enjoy most being in. Not that I want to live in, but like being in is Dark Souls. Like the Dark Souls universe and lore is super fucking interesting and thick and like like we said it's heavily inspired by berserk um i mean so... there's a character that's basically guts uh knight artorius one of gwyn's four knights so yeah. so so for the uninitiated the the story of or the uh the world of dark souls is one in which a long ass time ago <laughs> the the world was run by dragons the age of dragons and they were immortal and then there were these four beings who found these flames, uh, a, a flame of life, a flame of death, a flame of light, and a flame of dark. Uh, well, really, they call them souls, but that's where the term dark souls actually comes from, the dark soul. But anyway, so these four beings with their flames, which came from the first flame, which essentially was like a primordial Big Bang-ish kind of thing, uh, along with one dragon who... Didn't have scales. See the scales, yeah. See the scales, who was going to die because he didn't have any scales. He betrayed the dragons and told these four beings, hey, dragons get killed by lightning. So the these hell? Four, yeah, lightning is their weakness. So, they fly! How is lightning their weakness? Have you never played a Pokemon game? Well, <laughs> that's true. Okay. The, the, way that, the way that it's described is that lightning is able to like tear through their immortal dragon uh, scales. And make it more than call it bullshit video game logic for short. Go ahead. Well, I mean, if you really had a drag, so, <laughs> um, so yeah, the four the four beings are uh, first amongst them is Gwyn, the uh, the one who had the um, uh, was it the light? Light, or the light? it was light? the light okay. soul, 
he had the light soul and he was basically just a, a guy like a king and so he led the the knights of gwen and their lightning magic so he was the main force to fight the dragons the um the life soul went to the witch of isolith who was all into like fire and shit uh the death soul went to grave lord nito who was the first of the undead and is basically the grim reaper and then the dark soul went to the furtive pygmy but all knowledge about him has basically been lost to time like really no one knows much about the furtive pygmy but so these four beings uh fucked the dragons killed basically all of them and so they started the age of man also called the age of fire because the flames um but the first flame well, actually, isn't the age of man uh the dark age technically age was the age of the ancients you are correct i misspoke because the age of fire is the age of the gods and they hint that the age of dark is the age of man you are completely right um anyway so so in the age of fire the age of the gods because those four beings are basically the gods uh went on for a while things were cool and then the the first flame where these souls came from started fading and so basically the gods were afraid this flame goes out we, it's going to be dark and then you know, the age of darkness. So the witch of Isolith is like, hey, I'll use my soul to uh, create another first flame. And instead of creating another first flame, she creates essentially hell. I mean, not a realm, but she creates what's called the bed of chaos. And from there, all demons that exist in the world come from. Well, the the life soul turns into the, the chaos flame, which creates demons, like you said. Yeah. Meanwhile, Nito just is like, I'm going to chill in my graveyard, like realm and, uh, be cool um furtifigmy it's heavily implied that what the furtifigmy did was basically figure out a way to split the dark soul and he did this over and over again and created humans from it so every human soul is actually a small piece of the dark soul and uh they call it humanity um as for gwen he was like well the witch of isolus plan didn't work so instead i will just feed my body to the first flame to fuel it and so he does that to extend the Age of Fire. So that's all like just preamble and setup. Your main goal in Dark Souls 1 is to kill enough things to power your soul up uh, so that it's uh, good enough fuel to feed to the first flame to extend it further. So, But by the end, you get a choice. You can either feed yourself to the flame to extend the Age of Fire, or you can say, fuck that, and kickstart the Age of Dark, which is supposedly Age of Man. There's a lot of ambiguity about how that actually goes down because there are different agents trying to pull you in different directions, which is part of what's great about the world of Dark Souls, that a lot of questions are kind of there for you to find the answers to. But that's basically the uh, the premise of uh, Dark Souls lore. Ambiguously evil. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and what's great about that too is because the world that you're in since it's like near the end of the age of fire it's all fucked and decrepit like all the castles are in super disarray a lot of the beings that are basically heroes or super important in the past are um essentially chilled their former beings and uh, you find them and kind of put them under their misery <laughs> well dark souls is the is the game franchise that's like god can you imagine fighting this thing in its prime is basically what it is because even when they're not in their prime they're still going to kick your ass yeah like uh a good example would be something like um uh, the gate okay so one of the things dark souls got going for it as a universe too is that the the influence from berserk uh, aside the creativity in like creature design 
is insane. One of the most interesting bosses in any of the games is called the Gaping Dragon, also called by fans the Open Heart Surgery Dragon, because its entire chest is like a mouth of teeth open up. That doesn't seem like it's a smart design choice. <laughs> it's it's not a okay, hard. Let me boss ask you this. The giant mouth is open. Does it lead directly to the heart or, you know, vital organs? No. Okay, it's, it's not so bad. Yeah, like it's not weak there. It's just that's what it looks like because it's got like teeth uh, right on the sides. That's also yeah. a prime example of a boss that's like, oh, God, that's really intimidating. And then when you like fight it, you're like, wow, this is a pushover. Yeah, it's actually one of the easiest bosses in all the games because basically it just kind of walks slowly towards you. And so you just move to the side and then go hit it on its tail for a while and then walk <laughs> away when it turns around and then repeat that until it's dead. So, uh, actually, the more the most interesting fights are the ones where um, the or bosses are the ones where you fight some like figure of myth who you've been hearing about through like NPCs and items. That I mean, the best fight in my opinion in Dark Souls One is, as he said, with Knight Artorius, who's almost directly based off of Guts. This character who uh, you've seen bits and pieces of his quest. Like he went to essentially a place called Ulasil, which is this. Uh, town that was overtaken by darkness. You find out why, but not the point. Point is, Artorius went there to fucking defeat the darkness, and no one heard from him again. And so then when you go explore it, you come into this Colosseum, and there's Artorius just like fucking stabbing a dude, except he's like swirling with dark energy, and his left arm is completely broken. And so then he hur he hurls the dude on his sword at you, and then squares up to fight and so then you fight him in this fucking coliseum this badass music starts and the way you have to fight him like you have to like duck and weave it feels like like a dance almost but it's it's it just also, feels epic also a quick note artorius was left-handed so even if he like wouldn't have been corrupted he would have still been fighting him at his peak performance yeah he's not even the last boss of that particular because it's in a dlc uh but it, it's probably my favorite fight in all of dark souls one so now the the other games like I haven't actually beaten Dark Souls two. I've played sixteen hours of Dark Souls two, and um, I don't like it. So I don't really that, know. That's actually something I wanted to talk to you about later. I have a different opinion of it, and I might be able to change your opinion of it as well because I did some research and stuff. But you know, I, I, I know the story. I, I've watched like a, a long video defending Dark Souls two online, and I get a lot of like what's good about it. I just don't like the way it controls and it's the number one that. thing is adaptability man that's the number one thing all right the we'll talk adaptability yeah anyway dark souls 3 is a game that is like and you don't see this very often uh, at least you don't see this work very often it was made by the designers as like a love letter to their fans like dark souls 3 is a great game but a lot of what's great about it is how it shows nothing but respect and love for dark souls 1 but still being its own thing like it's since dark souls story is all about cyclical natures the age of dark and the age of fire actually supposedly have come and gone and swapped multiple times um so the idea that dark souls 3 mirrors dark souls 1 in a lot of ways but kind of like twisted gives you a lot of like hey this place looks like is this that place from dark souls 1 like after you know thousands of years maybe the trees overgrown like that kind of experience like there's literally a boss fight in one of the dlcs in Dark Souls 3, where you drop in from like a fucking hundred feet up and you land and you look around and giant demons are fighting you. But if you take a moment to really look at where you've landed, you realize that it's your hub area from Dark Souls 1. That's a nice 
Yeah, and shit like that happens. Many games that do that, to be honest. Yeah, and so shit like that happens. In Dark Souls three all the time. It's also funny because playing um as far as because any conversation about Dark Souls, I gotta bring up the difficulty real quick. It has nothing to do with this particular conversation, but just saying that uh, I'm having a conversation with someone about this recently. I feel like Dark Souls one is the easiest, and once you've actually played Dark Souls three, going back to Dark Souls one feels like playing I don't know like God of War or something, where it's like just just go through it. You're Superman at that point. Uh, anyway, yeah, that's my choice for... I definitely wouldn't want to live there, because fuck that. <laughs> I mean, oh. you're okay as long as you, like, have the will to keep going on. You'll never die. But if yeah. you go hollow, you're, I mean, you're fucked. Yeah, actually, one more thing about the lore. So I mentioned Gravelord Nito, who's basically the, the Grim Reaper. Well, it's not confirmed, but it's hinted that when, the, um, when Gwyn fed himself to the fire and the first flame, and it was revealed that, hey, people can feed themselves to the goddamn fire to extend it. Gravelord Nito created the dark sign, which is essentially a, a curse that creates undead. And that, uh, that's why, in story, you can die over and over again and keep coming back, because you have the dark sign, which allows you to keep resurrecting. And Nito did this so that there could be more people to feed themselves to the flame. I mean, none of that's confirmed. It's just heavily speculated by the fan base. But, like, I love shit like that. And the dark sign is uh, a great way to, like, take a mechanic inherent to the game and actually tie it to the lore. Which which universe would you want to live in? Which fantasy one? Um, To live in a fantasy universe? See, the main problem with living in a fantasy universe is lack of indoor plumbing. But (laughs) Yeah. If you put me in a universe where, say, magic solves that problem, something like the Warcraft universe... Harry Potter? Or the Harry Potter universe. Yeah, Harry sure. Potter was a pretty solid one. Why didn't we think of that one? Well, I considered it, considering, but I wanted mostly to talk about Dark Souls. So I mean, I mean, I, I did think of it, but like it's overshadowed by like Berserk. <laughs> like, yeah. So well, I guess if I got, it's one I'd want to live in, but to not me, as a Muggle. <laughs> like, we, we already live in that world. It's less interesting. So I guess we could wrap up real quick with that one. To you guys, what makes a good all-around universe, be it fantasy, be it sci-fi, be it whatever. What is it you look for when you're going into a universe? Stevie? Uh, give me a minute. Uh, you go first, Chance. <laughs> okay, fine. Um, okay, this is, I feel like, cheap, but anything I can say is going to tie back to the same idea, which is immersion. Uh, any other thing I can say is important, like depth of lore or, like, de- complexity of characters or, like, how... Uh, well realized it is or how real it feels it all ties to the same concept how immersed i feel in the universe like let's take um let's take an example of something that i don't actually feel that immersed in which is actually the lord of the rings don't get me wrong i like lord of the rings but for one reason or another i can't really explain it i don't ever feel immersed in lord of the rings always feels like a separate thing on a pedestal like it's it's super important and i respect it but i don't ever feel lost in it when i'm reading it at all but when the i was kind of dry to be honest yeah but when i play dark souls which i just spent a lot or when i watch berserk i feel like i forget i exist i am completely engrossed in the world that i am experiencing whether through play or through you know watching or reading and that really is the key to any game or uh show or anything like that hell i've been playing pokemon recently and even the original red and blue with as crappy graphics as they are has a world that i can forget i exist and considering how 
low graphic and low design that UI is, that's an impressive feat. So anything that can do that, that does it for me. Yeah. Uh, no, real quick, for me, it's just lore. And it could be because I'm a huge history guy, but I feel like when you have story and you have characters and you have these things, it makes it feel like it's a real place that I want to learn more about. And I don't know, I get that to me adds my immersion. I mean, you can have kind of bland character design or bland world design, but if you've got a history, like an interesting history to it, I will fall in love with it just because I want to know where these things came from. And to me, that is the biggest selling point, the biggest thing I look for in a universe. Can I do one more quick side note about something you just said? Sure. Which is, it's not my favorite universe, but as far as a fantasy universe, not counting Tolkien, because like I said, the Tolkien universe is on its own pedestal. It inspired every fantasy after it. I personally, I personally feel that uh, Dragon Age, particularly Dragon Age Origins, is kind of the perfect fantasy RPG game and the perfect fantasy yes. RPG universe. Yeah. Not necessarily my favorite for some reasons, but I feel like it's just perfect. So, yeah. What do you have for us, Stevie? Honestly, uh, both of you guys are spot on with uh, immersion and lore. But I think uh, more so for me, like both of those things need to be prevalent. Like I am a huge lore buff. I dive into lore. Like once I find a story that I really love, I'll, I'll dive into the lore and be like, wow, this is like really nice. But I think that one of the most important things that uh, might be overlooked is it has to have some kind of like unique hook uh, to get me like very interested in the story or something like that. I mean, like, like we talked about uh, Berserk. Uh, when you find out that Nosferatu is odd, it's like there's something more to this universe than I initially thought. I think that's a big factor for me getting really involved in a story as well. So Hook, you you like you like feeling like maybe you're you believe it, it's one it's thing like a, and then having it pulled out from well, under you, like surprise. Well, not necessarily not necessarily that, but I feel like when a story. Um, like most of the stories are very repetitive. Most of the stories are like, oh yeah, this is this is the same thing as like what this is and stuff. It's just a fantasy world and stuff. But mm-hmm. like I feel like it needs to have some kind of unique aspect to it for me to get really involved in it. It has to have some kind of like unique thing exclusive to it for me. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, yeah, like it 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 does change the way I look at it in some ways, like with Berserk. I was like, wow, that's there's something more to this, but like just that uniqueness. To you it, know what's like... it's funny i didn't mean to cut you off but it's no, funny it's cool. i think i think what you just said might be the reason why i don't actually get immersed in lord of the rings because since it is like the grandfather of fantasy and everything else comes from it it's like the baseline of yeah fantasy. it doesn't have anything really unique i mean this is coming from someone who's like a bigger lord of the rings fan than star wars fan but it doesn't really have anything unique like, like it's almost unfair to it because yeah it was unique at the time like Tolkien was a genius who pulled from tons of different mythologies to create his world. But, you know, I grew up in a post Lord of the Rings world. Everyone has so. taken from it and made it better. Yeah. Wow. But, you but yeah, no, I think I totally agree with you. I, I think that's an important a uniqueness is certainly an important part to my immersion. So, yeah. All right. Let's talk suggestions of the week. Axel, why don't you kick us off? All right, I've got two, and they're both shows available on Netflix. So the first one I'll go with is one that just came out. It's called The End of the Fucking World. Which is a fantastic black comedy. Yep, it's only eight episodes long, eight 22-minute episodes long. There's no reason they they should have made it a, t- a TV show. Really, it should have just been a two-and-a-half-hour movie. But yeah, 
we have what we have. It's based on a British comic. I binged watched it this weekend, and I saw the trailer and thought, oh, so it's like Dexter, but with kids. And it turns out to be closer to like Bonnie and Clyde with kids, uh, British kids. And it Listen. is, yeah, it's Sorry. it's really good. Yeah, uh, there's some definite things to pick apart, like subtext wise. Plus, you've got two young actors who do a fantastic job like it's hard to you don't see actors doing that like i love stranger things for instance and i think those act those kids all do a great job but the kids in end of the fucking world are like a different level of good at what they're doing see, i'm gonna blow your mind real quick you realize they're our age right they are fuck yeah they look so young <laughs> yes they are both roughly our age shit i take all back all what i said then i <laughs> <laughs> I replace it. You're your adults. You don't get my praise. No, I replace it with they're just really good actors I'd never heard of, and they look young enough to really fit the role. Because don't you hate it when you see like a show based on young people, and you're very obviously like, well, you're an adult pretending to be a young. You're thirty something. You are not a teenager. Get the fuck out of here. Like I love Buffy, but Buffy is filled with that shit. So uh, near the end, yeah, it really gets like, no, I don't buy it. Try again later. Anyway, so end of the fucking world, black comedy about two teens who uh, run away, and one may or may not be harboring dreams of murder. <laughs> and it's it's really funny and really deep, and it ends it's very dark well. as fuck. Also, when I say it should be a movie, I think I read an article saying like the fact that it's a television show means that I kind of want a season two, uh, but it really shouldn't have one. And I think if it was a movie, I wouldn't even have had that thought. It ends kind of perfectly like if it was a movie that would just be an ending i'd just i'd love but as a tv show it makes me want more and i think that's kind of weird yeah i can see that anyway and then the other one i'll talk about is it's pretty old but it's not very well known which is called the almighty johnson's also available on netflix it's a new zealand show where the the premise is that a long long time ago the norse gods fell from asgard and uh became incarnate in human vessels and then sometime in like the 14th century, uh, Christian zealots tried to kill them. And so they drove them out of Iceland. And so they moved to New Zealand. And so now modern day, it follows a family of New Zealanders who are all the current day incarnation of Norse gods. They don't actually get the soul essentially in them until they turn 21. So they have their own personalities. But then the god basically goes into their bodies and their personality starts kind of shifting towards whatever the god they've got is. And they get powers and shit. It's it's really a sitcom. It's mostly just funny. Um, and it has a lot of like deep cut lore stuff. Like I'm a Norse uh, fan. I, I have two Norse uh, books by my bed at all times. And even I didn't know who fucking Seif, the Norse god of like attraction was until Omar yeah, Johnson's at her. Definitely had to do some, there's some deep dives, which kind of makes up because I got mixed feelings on that show, to say the least. Yeah, it's, it's not a show it's not for perfect. everybody. But I'd say give the first episode a watch, and if you find it enjoyable, keep going, because it's, it's a good show. It's not a great show. It's just a good show that I feel like deserves a bigger audience than it has. Yeah. Um, for me, this is one of my favorite movies of all time, and it's not going to surprise anybody, but Starship Troopers. God, I love that movie. Should we address the fact that you uh, told me you were worried people were going to think you were a fascist? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because I, I guess it works because in this case, Starship Troopers, the movie, is actually kind of a condemnation of everything the book was pro. So. Yeah, I'm going to hit the end. I also love the book. Unironically, love the book. I For don't agree. Record. And here's the thing. Before you go crying the book fascist, have you read it? 
I admit I have not. I was just saying that you uh, said to me you were worried about people thinking you're a fascist. So I just thought. Oh I'd bring it up. yeah, no, no. I I still have that fear, but I want to talk about. I love Starship Troopers. It is great sci-fi action, but it's also brilliant satire. And I think the reason I love it so much is I got the perfect age. I was like six or seven years old when this movie came on, and I shouldn't have watched it. But this was the 90s. This thing had video games and toys marketed to us as kids. Mm. And it still holds up today. That's the most surprising thing. And uh, no, I often find myself thinking about this because I'm about to have a daughter here in a little less than a month. And I'm already going, how old does she need to be before I can show her this? <laughs> Am I a bad father for showing her this? I mean, it's not Watchmen, but there's a lot of gory decapitations. And I don't know. And it's kind of funny, but amongst 40K fans, a lot of people consider this is the closest we've ever gotten to getting a good or getting a, yeah, a good 40K movie. There is one out there. It's called uh, Ultramarines. It's garbage. This is the closest we've gotten to a good 40K movie. No, give it a watch. And if you are of the mind that the book is, you know, garbage or promotes fashion, or thing, give it a read. Actually read it. It's a really good sci-fi that actually has some interesting things to say that you don't necessarily have to agree with sure as for what age your daughter should be for your show or that's that's up to you buddy <laughs> probably at least six <laughs> that's what i'm thinking six is good that's when i watched it <laughs> uh stevie have a suggestion for us um probably monster in a world because i picked that up and it's it's been a very very good game i i had my doubts about monster hunter uh in the past but i was like you know i have a ps4 might as well as get it, and uh, I, I thoroughly enjoy it. And if you don't have a PS4 or Xbox One, it's coming out for PC uh, in like September of this year, so it's worth checking out. <laughs> yeah, There's... no, I've never played any of the Monster Hunter games, but pretty much every game critic I follow has been talking about this nonstop. Yeah, no, it, what... it is fantastic. One of the main things I love about Monster Hunter World, I haven't actually played it, but I've got a lot of friends who do, and they've told me all these things, and I've watched a lot of videos. So just conceptually, I love the fact that this is a world where, if you want, you could just take a sword and shield and go kill monsters. Or, you can get a fucking Gatling gun. Or, if you want to go crazy, you can get essentially a big, like, iron set of bagpipes that you can play a song and then punch, cre or, like, hit creatures with your iron bagpipes. It's the game where you get a weapon... So you could kill monsters. So you can make hats out of those monsters. So you could kill bigger monsters to make hats out of them. That's what it is. It's something about a game that lets me beat monsters to death with bagpipes, though. I, they're not actually called bagpipes. It's called like a hunting horn, but it looks like yeah. a big set of bagpipes. It actually <laughs> gives you a lot of uh, buffs and stuff too. Like you get like the earplugs buff, which makes it where you're not susceptible to monster roars, which are pretty prevalent. Or then, you like, could just smack a T-Rex in the face with it. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Stevie, we'd like to thank you for coming on this week. Uh, we always allow our guests a chance to plug something if they want to. You got anything? Uh, if uh, you don't like it, give Dark Souls 2 another chance. Uh, I'm going to tell a chance all the reasons why, uh, uh, actually all the reasons why after this. Um, because I, I was in the mindset that uh, it was just like not playable and stuff. And uh, my, my mind has changed because I went back to it and did a little bit of digging. And it all comes down to the agility skill. You need to have your agility at 105. Agility? I thought you said adaptability. Adaptability increases agility, but so does um, so does your um, attunement. Uh, so like oh. if you're a caster, you don't need as much uh, adaptability. Okay, we'll talk details here in a yeah. second. All right, nerd jibber jibber. Again, you thank you. Do you have any uh, like 
pod, I mean, that's a game. That's very directly. Do you have any like podcasts or other things like to plug that you think um, an audience? Honestly, uh, nothing is coming to mind right now that okay. I think that people need to. I, I mean, berserk, but like <laughs> nothing really at, that I really want to talk about right now. So okay, all right. Uh, thank you for listening. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Also, feel free to follow us on Twitter at Geeks with Shields. As always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time, and as always, stay honorable.